Am I on now? There we go. So I'll leave my coat off and I don't need to impress anybody. I'm leaving tonight, so it really doesn't matter. And uh, so anyway, it, w- it was good to spend a little bit of time with you this morning. How many were here this morning? Because I've got to know which jokes I can use and which ones I can't and, um, and do that. But, you know, one of the things that I think has always been a challenge, um, and, I, and I give you a little bit of history because most of you were here and, and, and you know, is it is it... When we first started working with kids, I, um, I was always more relational than I was spiritual. Um, and it doesn't mean that I didn't believe in Scripture. Um, I was Oklahoma Bible quiz champ of 1969. I'm sure most of you know that. And, um, but it was just Scripture memory. I've, I've always kind of been into that. And, and, uh, and, but I was always, when somebody asked me to do this Young Life thing, I was always always probably short on the spiritual side of it. I let somebody else lead the Bible study group. And I was more into loving on kids and working with kids that were just struggling and having a tough time. Little did I know that, that through the years, what we were really learning is how to deal with kids that were being affected by where the culture was headed. And the, and the culture took a different turn. It wasn't this, what I call the... Um, the focus on the family uh, equation, that if you just do, and I'm not against, I've spoke, I've gone on tour with Focus on the Family and, and, uh, uh, and spoke for them uh, all through Canada and, and places, and, but it's, it's, it's more that there's not this equation that if you just do A, B, and C, that you'll end up with D. I think what we've all found is that, that we struggle a little bit um, trying to figure out how do I take the, and this is probably the biggest challenge for all of us as parents, how do I take what I believe to be true and apply it to a world that is truly contrary to, to what I believe? And I mean, especially now, I mean, do you find yourself, because I'm one of those guys that says this, I, I will support any, and I don't talk politics, but I will support anybody that's in the White House because I believe that God is in control and he has placed people in the White House. But there's been some questions that I kind of go, well, I don't think I would have said that. You know, I don't, I think I would have said it a different way. Maybe I would have, but there's a part of it. So how do I take what I have always believed is that when Obama was in, I was supporting Obama. I I will support anybody in that house that's been elected. How come you guys are late? I mean, like, we've been going for like an hour and a half already and stuff. No, it's all right. Come on in. Come on in. You have to sit over here. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. Because they're our friends. (laughs) That's it. That's it. But there's a part of it where I go, how do I take what I have always felt and what I've always believed and still support what I believe to be true, that God has placed anybody in that position? And... um, how do I do that? Do y'all find yourself in that? Do you find yourself with the kind of the homosexual deal that's going on? Even though I joke about it a little bit, I will tell you that my specialty is working with kids, mostly girls, in same-sex relationships. And it's not to get them out of it. That's not my role. My role is just to love on them and to help their family understand things, get them to a better spot, and hopefully build a relationship that, that will make sure that they make good choices. Are you following me? 
Now somebody says, well, no, you're not standing up for what Scripture. I know what Scripture says. I get it. I understand it. The difficulty is kids don't. You know, I made a comment this morning that, that kids just look at... And my fear for kids today is that they're looking at Scripture as just another piece of information. They're not looking at it for what it really is, the wisdom of God being shared to us. You know, how to live better lives. And so, when, so my role isn't to make sure they understand that because they know all that information. Am I right? Because you've taught them well. Because the, the church staff has taught them well. You've, you've brought them up through I wanna, I don't wanna, um, through young life, his life, K life, whose life, you know, whatever it is. You have all these different ministries going on. Our kids know Scripture. The difficulty isn't them knowing the Scripture. The difficulty is having them apply it to a world that's somewhat different than what you and I grew up in or even experienced five years ago or even 10 years ago. Look at what's happening within the last, last 10 years. We've had this big fight about marijuana. I mean, it's just been absolutely amazing, hasn't it? And now, is it, you think it's gonna come to Phoenix? Sure it is, it already is, you know, I mean, because everybody from the land of fruits and nuts, California is bringing it over. And, uh, but I mean, there's a part of it where, where we will see it'd be a state option, I would think, and we're just gonna see that that's gonna become a part of the influences on our kids. Now, do you and I like that? Anybody here excited about that? You know, and I go, I, 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 from 21 on, I don't care what you do. It's your business. I tell kids all the time, you know, I, you, you get to make choices in your life. I want you to make, but I want you to make good choices. But the point of it that I think becomes difficult for us is saying this is going to affect a child. So how do I parent a child and help them through the most difficult of circumstances while maintaining a relationship so they don't feel like I'm being judgmental toward them. Are you following me a little bit? And so it's almost like the more that I want to be involved, the hardest time I have getting into their head a little bit because they are pursuing relationships like crazy in any way they can with anybody they can, with whoever background they can, because they're so desperately in need of a real relationship because they don't have it. When I, it was funny to watch the response. All the kids were sitting over here. It was kind of funny that, that the, the younger ones sit over here, the older ones sat over here in the early service, and, and uh, just, you know, just that seating thing is always kind of interesting to me. But when I made a comment about them being deceived about relationships, you know, at the very core of it, I think they understand that. And there's another part of it that I think that most kids would really love to have their phones turned off for a period of time. I mean, in, in the difficulty, even though I believe that, I go, would I encourage you to tell your kids, hey, we're going to turn off all the phones for the next month? No, <laughs> not at all. I made a comment this morning because a girl came up to me afterwards, okay, what age should, do you think we should really get cell phones? And I said, really, it's about eight or nine. And most people look at me and go, you've got to be crazy. Look, look, we're not going to change the world of communication. We're not going to change the Internet. We're not going to change what's available to our kids. We can limit a lot of it. 
But we better start training our kids how to survive in the middle of this mess because 85% of our kids are leaving the church upon graduation. And you know this. I mean, if you're in any church around the country, you know that there is a, a, a buttload of kids. I'm sorry, buttload's an old Hebrew term. Um, <laughs> uh, a ton of kids in seventh and eighth grade. And you'll be lucky at a big church of having four or five seniors graduate every year that are still involved. Are you following me? Now, that's no, that's no reflection on the church by any means. It's a reflection on our culture. And it, it's almost like the, the, we're, missing, we're missing the needs of these juniors and seniors because we're having a difficult time helping them apply what they know to be true to their world. And so they succumb to the, something different. Well, here's the problem. Then kids begin to shame themselves for violating what mom and dad really want for them. You following me? It's kind of a complicated mess, isn't it? So you kind of look at, go, well, then, then, then how do I bring in the word of God into their lives in such a way that, that they embrace it and say, okay, I get it. I understand why I need to do these things. When they're interpreting it, interpreting, it is just more information that they've been overwhelmed with. It's almost, it's a no-win situation for anybody that you, you, that you can't win. And I, and I would submit to you that the only way to do that is through a relationship with your child. And so it becomes, matter of fact, I didn't say it all the way this morning. I think the most important relationship your child can have during their adolescent years is you. And somebody would say, well, oh, I thought it was relationship with Christ. Now, I'm not a theologian, um, and this is a mess, but I think it's you. That's the most important thing in their life. Because if you're to be to your child who God is to you, reminding yourself that they are children that you're dealing with, that you are the connection back to God. You become the example. You become the one that is demonstrating the love of God himself, the patience, the goodness, the, the gentleness, the, um, the love, the joy, the peace. Um, you're it. You're the mirror. You, in one sense, in a kid's eyes, you are the visible expression of the invisible God to them. Now, does that sound like blasphemy, Pastor? Now, we all know that Jesus is because that's what Scripture tells us. But in our kid's mind, you can do this. You can validate what they've been taught. And because you're the visible expression of a life being fleshed out, one of Scripture, you can invalidate it very quickly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That, that you become that example of... And so, it, so that's where it becomes somewhat difficult um, to engage differently so that we're offering them something different at a time that we hardly know what we're talking, talking about, but engaging with them in such a way that goes, okay, how do I do this? And you do it through a number of ways, relationally. Because if you try to do it logically, I'm not so sure that it's always going to work. I would just sit down. I, somebody made a comment to me that, that we need to, um, he goes, I need, he, he was a blogger, quite honestly. 
And this blogger said, I need to go home this afternoon and straighten my kids out on this whole Caitlyn Jenner thing. <laughs> and I'm going, dude, this is going to be a conversation you're going to be having for 20 years. We get this idea, we get this idea that we have to fix everything all the time. Men, am I right? Okay, let me, let me tell you this. I'm not going to tell one man in this room that they're wrong because no man likes to be told they're wrong. Am I right? <laughs> of course I'm right. And, <laughs> but they don't. And so, so I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but the, but the tendency is I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them like it is. This is how they need to understand what's going on. I'm going to make sure they know this is where we stand. And for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is what it looks like. And if we don't get it fixed, what do men tend to do? Go mow the yard. I'm going to go work on the... Do y'all have yards here or do y'all have just rocks? Okay, I'm going to go polish the rocks in the front yard. I'm going to go work on something else. I'm going to get consumed in everything else. That's the tendency. That's the tendency men have. I think men have the tendency to want to fix things and solve it in discussions and all that as much as women have a tendency to talk too much. You know? Because it's the way we're wired. It's the way we are. I mean, it's, and, and, and don't hear that as a, as a slam, either one of you. I mean, I, I cleaned out. I mean, here I am at the, um, at the Marriott Suites down in um, Scottsdale, old, old Town, is that it, the name of it? Um, and the shower head was clogged up, and so I'm in the shower this morning. I take the thing apart, and I'm cleaning it out in the shower because I'm just one of those guys that wants to fix things. And I'm just obsessive compulsive enough that I'm gonna make the bed before the maid gets in there because I wanna make sure it looks okay, you know? But we have this tendency to wanna fix things. And the problem is, the, the message that it always communicates is you're broken when we communicate that to our, uh, to our kids. But the other part of it is that I, I think there's a tendency to think that we can just fix it and move on, fix it and move on, fix it and move on. And that's not the way it is. We're going to be having discussions about homosexuality for the next 20 years. We're going to be having discussions about marijuana for the next 20 years. We're going to be talking about same-sex stuff and bisexual, and we're going to be talking about pornography for the next 20 years. Pornography's been around a long time. Been around a long time. It's every man's battle. Men are just wired. So your young boys are wired to look at that. Please don't hear me as saying that it's okay. But they are wired that way. How many kids do we ever get that come live with us that have been addicted to video games? It's all guys. It's not girls. They're created to be visual. And the fact that it's been around forever. I mean, I was in um, Pompeii, Italy. And it, have, have you all ever been to Pompeii? It's, anybody here been to Pompeii? It's an interesting place, isn't it? And you, did you go into the one place where they have the pictures all over the wall of every kind of sex act that you can think of that, that, uh, that and it's all been preserved. This is, this is a, a little town on 50 acres that has been preserved when Mount Vesuvius blew up. And Mount Vesuvius, no small mountain, it was this huge, uh, huge mountain that blew up and spewed ash all over it. And it, put 50 to 100 feet of ash 
right on top of everything, and it preserved everything. So this was 500 B.C., and what it preserved in every room, I mean, and it were all the frescoes and paintings that were on the walls. And one of these rooms, one of these buildings was evidently a building of ill repute. They had every kind of sex act you can think of, guy, 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 girl, girl, girl you know, whatever it is. And I, I guess you go in there and you select what you want to do, you know, and, and I'm going, and, and when I looked at it, I sat there and I thought, this homosexual thing's been around a long time. It's going to be around a long time. So for me to think that I'm going to solve it with my child, I won't. But I will have discussions with them because they're going to have to figure this out as well. Do you find yourself feeling a little bit different about the homosexual thing now than you did 15 years ago? Doesn't mean that scripture's changed. It's just the way that I treat people. I would never get up front and make a, 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 a gay joke. <laughs> or I remember when I was on a church staff, one of my opening deals on a church staff was this gay joke, and everybody loved it because nobody knew any gay people. Yeah, I didn't grow up with gay people around me. I mean, there was one guy. He was kind of light in the shorts, but, but I mean, other than that, he wasn't that much. <laughs> and we, I mean, but a great guy, but, but I mean, I just didn't. Well, it's a different world. Your kids are growing up around it. And they're so relationship depleted that, that the way that you speak about that gay person or about marijuana or those, whatever it is, you know, you, it, it just, is, it's, it's different. They interpret it different. You know, one of the biggest things that happened when, um, uh, when Mitt Romney um, ran for office was people were saying, we're electing a Mormon. They said it fe affected 23% of the voters across this country. That there was a real question about the whole Mormon church. And, and I think people look at the Mormon church differently than they did 15, 20 years ago. You think? Now, I mean, conclusions, I, I don't know where those conclusions are. I just know that I know some Mormon folks that if if they don't make it to heaven, I haven't got a chance um, because they're such dear people that love Jesus and, and uh, the Jesus that I know. And, um, and so it's, it just looks different. And so the biggest challenge, I guess, is what I'm saying more than anything else. We've been hit some, by so many things that the challenge becomes, how do I engage differently? How do I make sure that that doesn't come between my child and I? How do I engage in such a way that they don't just write us off and move into their own little world of isolation? Because most kids, they feel like they don't need parents. They feel like, I can do it on my own. And some of them are trying to do that. I don't know whether yours are or not. So I think it's, it's complicated how we take the culture and play into this world. And what I've realized through the years is that What's been different for me is that I've realized that the relationship that I've had with kids that have been obstinate and would look at you and tell you to take your God and do whatever with it and all those things, that if the, it's the relationship that has continued to move them in a good direction and to get them to a good spot, it hasn't been my rules and consequences that, that have changed them. 
Because I believe this, that people don't change because of rules. They change because of relationship. Are you following me so far? Somebody look at me and go, mm, I don't know what he's talking about. There's a little girl that's 14 years old named Carolee Nye. She lives in Denver. When she was 14, she stole our car uh, and totaled it with another guy named Darren Cant, but he could. And, um, and so they took the car and so... When we found her, she was drunk as anything, 14 years old, just drunk, saying, no cute little pixie cut, and just one of the cutest little girls, and the policeman looked at me and said, what do you want to do? And I was just, arrest her. So they arrested her, she was in juvenile detention for 10 days, and oh, she hated me, and so I'd go and visit her, and she'd yell and scream and cuss at me, so I'd leave, and finally, after the ninth or 10th day, she was, Mark, can you help me? Can you get me out of here? I don't want to be in this place. Sure, let's figure out what to do. I met with Carolee and her parents. I just talked to her parents yesterday. Her dad had a stroke and uh, is, is finally at home. But Carolee is now 48 years old, um, happily married and has three kids. And um, she's a grandmother, which is amazing. And she is the Colorado Teacher of the Year. Um, and it wasn't by me just spewing at her. It wasn't by me quoting scripture, which I can do. It wasn't by me just throwing at her. It was by loving her through it, in spite of it, realizing that she's gonna have to make some decisions in life that I have nothing to do with. So she's married, she's, she's done a lot of different things that I wouldn't agree with, but I've chosen to love her anyway. And that's where I kind of come with, with that that phrase that I've always said, there's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. Matter of fact, I would encourage you, you guys in here, um, when you get home tonight, just go up and knock on your, your kid's door if it's closed. If they still have a door up, if you haven't kicked it in, you know. Hey, um, can we talk for just a minute? And go in and just saying to them, hey, I just want you to know something. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. Dad, are you okay? <laughs> are you drinking again? I mean, it's, would that be different? But I think it's a message that every kid is dying to hear and would love to hear that. Moms, you heard my comments this morning. I made it in the first service. I didn't make it in the second service that if you could do things different, and Tammy is the one who came up with this concept of a 24-hour 24 shut, 24 shut-up challenge, but I tell parents all the time, go home and, moms, go home and don't talk for 24 hours. I know, I know, it'll be tough. But just give it a shot, see what happens. What you're doing is trying to change little things so they don't become big things. The tendency is, and I'm going to use this as kind of an example, when you have these 1 through 12 years of age right here, and let's say that this is 12 through 19, even though the American Medical Association has increased the age of adolescence to age 27. American Journal of Adolescent Psychiatry has increased it to age 26. Is that any surprise to anybody? No, not really. But I mean, it's the difference between the two. I would say this is the point which, where I move from a teaching model down here to a training model here. And teaching, when I'm teaching, 
then, then I have to give out a ton of information because that's important for them to learn all this information. And so, it's, it, so I get used to this and they applaud me for it and they love me for it and it's wonderful. And then I get up here and they're going, God, why don't you shut up? I mean, I've had kids tell me, the reason I smoke pot is because my mom won't keep her mouth shut and it helps me forget about it. Because moms have this tendency to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I told you. If that doesn't work, then I'll start all over again. And this is what you need to do. This I need to do it better, and this is what you need to do different. Because that works down here in a teaching model, right? It doesn't work up here in a training model. A teaching model says, and, and your kids are just going, yes, give me more, more, more. They get up here, they're going, leave me alone. Am I right? And so it's almost saying, so when you switch here and stop talking so much, moms, they're going to be going, something's going on here. Dad came up and, what's up with dad? He's saying this stuff. And now mom's not talking. Is somebody dying? Is, <laughs> see what I mean? You just make little changes. And I think little changes have an amazing way of changing the direction of your family. Most of your kids respond negatively to the little, little things in your life that bug them. You follow me? And so if it's, if it's, if it's that, then it's just little changes that, that can change the destiny of a family. Is anybody here in the oil business? Done any oil stuff or anything? Oil, it's amazing to me how they drill. Um, they can, they can, they'll go down, you know, four or five miles straight down and drill. And these bits are huge like this. And uh, I grew up in the, and my dad was in an oil blasting crew, and he worked for Pan American Petroleum, British Petroleum, Standard Oil of Indiana, uh, Amoco, all those throughout the year. So we moved wherever the oil was, and that's why... I grew up in New Orleans, that's why I was in West Texas and lived in 50 different cities growing up because we moved every two weeks. I only lived in my birthplace for 10 days and, and then we ended up moving to South Texas, South Louisiana for the oils and the rigs in and, and New Orleans and then moved to Tulsa which was the oil capital of the world and so I've been around the oil thing for quite some time. Those bits are huge, They're these big old bits and they can take them four or five miles down and now they're taking them where they can go out two to three miles and put that through a four by four foot frame two or three miles out. And I always wondered, okay, how, when you're going down, how do, you, how, do you change, how do you change direction of that bit? I mean, is there some idiot on the end of it going here, dig this way, you know, or something? And what they do is wobble it. They wobble the bit. As it's going down, it's, it's spinning like this, and all of a sudden they start wobbling it. And over a period of eight and 900 feet, they can wobble it to a point where they get it to go the direction they want. And this is flex steel that's going down and as it goes, and they can put it two or three miles out. Do you know how much they wobble it? 1%. And what I would tell you is you can make just little 1% changes in your family and change the direction that it's headed. You follow me? Some of you are going, well, we don't need to head any different way. Yes, you will. 
Every one of you will have a time that you go, okay, we need to do something different. Because if you keep trying to do the same thing, it's going to fail. This thing, the, the idea that preschool kids, the way you treat them when they give you mugs and t-shirts and that say the world's greatest mom and world's greatest dad, it isn't going to work when you get up here. You know, it's pretty much that something changes, even though you feel that and you want that. Or, you know, I would say that something even worse is when your kids don't rebel against it and they're content to be raised at 16 or 17 the same way they were down here. I would tell you, then when they make the next transition in life, which is either get a job, go into the military, leave home, go to college, you're going to have a mess on your hands because they're not going to know how to function. So it's shifting, it's truly shifting um, your parenting style. That would be the one thing that, before we get into these slides, that I would tell you that, that becomes so important. It's shifting the style that you engage. Now, you, you guys are also doing a, um, a curriculum series after this, right? Um, don't buy the curriculum series, because I'm going to show you a slide. We're giving it away. And so don't buy it. We'll just give it to you. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to push you for that, but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the very things that you can find out through that curriculum series. We have another curriculum series that's coming out. It's called Raising Teens in a Contrary Culture. And um, we just finished all of it, and it should be out in a couple of months. So it's, it's a good follow-up to this Tough Guys and Drama Queens. <coughs> But in it, I talk about, in the, in the new series, I talk about this, this training, moving to a training model, because the teaching model is somewhat, um, it's understood, and, it's a, and, and, and we just kind of pick it up because it works for us. Because when we're in this teaching model, which is down here, it is all about us. I mean, it's, it's about, this is what we have to say. When we move to a training model, now it's what they have to say. This is, this is more about the decisions that we make for them. This is about giving them opportunity to make all decisions. This is about lecture. You know how lecture works so well? Do y'all still lecture? Okay, this is where you le have lecture. This is where you move to discussion. Because lecture doesn't work. Andragogy is the study of adult learning. Andragogists will tell you that that people only remember 8%, 8% of lecture, adults do. So what do you think kids are really remembering? It's in, it's in, it's in, <laughs> it's like, what, do, do you lecture a lot? Do you? I could tell by the way you're, you're smiling going, oh, yeah, yeah. So look at all that time you're wasting that you could be doing something else, you know, I mean, so. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it is because we get into this where they used to, remember when they used to look at us and go, oh, thank you. I needed that. That's wonderful. That's exactly what I need to know. And then over here, it's kind of, oh, dad. You know, I mean, it just kind of changes, you know. And, and what's changed? This is where it's all concrete. This is where it moves to abstract. See the difference? Concrete is that, it, 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 let me give you an example. Adopt a child. Do you have an adopted child? Do any of y'all have adopted kids? An adopted child. You adopt them at an early age, and a third of the kids that we have at Heartlight are adopted. A third of them are homeschooled. <laughs> and a third are Southern Baptist. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so if you're a Southern Baptist that's homeschooling your adopted child, I've got a brochure for you out there <laughs> that you're going to want. But my point is, is, is that an adopted child listens and goes, well, thank you. And you tell them, we, we adopted you. We brought you into this family. Uh, you have a new home. It, we got you out of a situation. You tell them all those things, and they get it. And they go, okay, okay. And they start moving into abstract thinking at a time that they want to belong. And now they're saying, why would somebody give me up? Why would girls come to that before guys do? Because they hit puberty first. They start their periods earlier. And it's almost like a sign of moving into abstract thinking. And now they're, all those womanly and motherly things are beginning, are beginning to be stirred inside of them, and they look at life differently. You think? All you women know what I'm talking about. I mean, my 11-year-old granddaughter walked in, and I said, I looked at my daughter. They live next door to us, about 200 yards away. And I looked at my daughter, and I went, it started, didn't it? And you just tell. You just tell. She walked by me and went, no, not really. But I mean, <laughs> when she finds out and she comes out, well, it changes things. Now she thinks about things differently. So you have a young girl that is looking and feeling some motherly things. And it's, they're looking at this whole thing of, well, why would somebody give up a child? Why would they give me up? Am I not worth? See how everything was okay with these great answers we gave them early on? And now it doesn't work, what changed? They started to think abstractly. And now it's, well, and it is interesting to me that it's, it's young ladies that want to meet their birth mother. It's not usually the guys. Um, the guy that's on the radio with me, a guy named Wayne Shepard, he is 67, 68 years old. He just found his birth mother. Um, and he's always said that he never cared about it, but underneath I knew he did. Uh, but he finally found her. But my point is that they start thinking differently. Right? And see the difference? It's like a, a child who loses somebody that's five years old and loses somebody within their family. I, the World Trade Center blows up. We have a young man that was five years old, and he pretty much knew life that, um, okay, dad's gone. I'm going to have to take care of the dog. I'll feed the dog. I'll let the cat on the morning. We're going to move to a another house, I've got to be the man of the family. A five-year-old thinking that, not wild. Um, mom's going to have to get a job. It's going to change the way we operate at home. We can't do the things we used to. It was all concrete thinking. Now he starts thinking abstractly. The abstraction is, it, my dad's never going to see me play basketball. My dad's not going to be at my basketball games. My dad's never going to see me graduate. He's not going to see me get married. He's never going to hold my kids. See the difference? And if you try to use the old answers here to give them here, do you think it's going to work? It's not. And do you think you have any answers that are going to solve that void in their life? No, you don't. When do most kids come to Christ? When they move to abstract thinking. It's usually 13 or 14. And so there's a part of it where I go, the transition moves from, from here where it's more about us giving answers to, to, to now we're giving questions and we spend time asking questions. This is more over here where we spend more time where it's about their control and taking control of their life. This is, uh, 
This is about us having control of their life. This moves to them taking control of their life. This is about dependence on us. This is about moving them to independence. Do you, you, do you want your kids to become independent? Or do you want some 25-year-old clown sitting around on your sofa playing video games, you know, the whole time? Or a girl that can't function without a man in her life, and so she goes and gets married at 18 or 19? I go, you want independence. And so it means this. It means this, especially if you have a 17 or 18-year-old boy at home. Because two men can't live together in the same house for very long. You're going to have this during, you're going to have this during their, their junior and senior year. And that's a good thing. It's a sign of independence. I can live on my own. I don't need you guys. Your kids ever say that? Yeah. And so what do we do when they start saying that? We start giving them more information. Information is, is what's needed for teaching. Wisdom is what's needed for training. But we go back and start giving them information. Well, what are you going to do about health insurance? You know how much rent is? Who's going to pay for the car? What about gas? What about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about? And you go, see, and that's where they go. Because what they really want is wisdom. I'm excited when a kid goes, you know, I can live on my own. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Why don't we give it a shot? Well, when I turn 18, I'm going to, I think that's wonderful. You get to finally be responsible. <laughs> this is where it's our responsibility for our kids. This is where they become responsible. You follow me? And so I've got to work toward that and say, how do I engage them differently to move them to this spot, but start training them up, which means I start letting them make decisions instead of me. This is more about, I want perfection. This is where I allow imperfection. People always say, should I tell my child about what I did in high school? Yes. Why? Because you're breaking the mold of perfection. Do you like being around perfect people? I don't at all. Matter of fact, you're not attracted to me because of books or speaking or a mustache or a or radio. You're not. You'll be attracted to me when I tell you that my wife was sexually abused for seven years by a grandfather, that my son went through a horrendous divorce nine months after he married his college sweetheart, that my daughter wrestled with an eating disorder all through college, that, I mean, that I grew up in a dysfunctional family that's been a mess, that I, how I ended up starting Hardlight 30 years ago was I got fired from another job. You know, it's, it's those kind of things. It's the imperfection that attracts us to one another. But the other thing is that the truth of you and I, when I, when I told somebody that, that uh, when I made the comment this morning that Jane and I went through counseling <laughs> because she was screwed up, that, uh, <laughs> that there were a couple of couples that went, went like this. It's almost like, whew. Haven't you felt this when your pastor gets up front and shares something that's not all perfect and good and it's just something in his life that's, not all perfect and good. Don't you? I, it just makes me go. Pfft. I love that guy. 
Because you connect. Because why? Because you're imperfect and so is your child. So I want to create an environment where imperfection is welcome. And so I start sharing things, you know. <laughs> I mean, it may be, you know, you're, you're waiting for that opportunity. You know, it's, it's, um, it's your daughters coming to you and saying, hey, mom, mom, um, did you ever have sex before you got married? What are they wanting to know? They're wanting wisdom. Nobody raise your hand on that, okay? <laughs> so simply, somehow I said it to be one. Well, yeah, I, no, I don't. I don't want to hear that. But I go. But I go. They're asking a question finally. Don't you want that? It's what you've been practicing for all of parenthood. I want, I, I want my child to come to me. I want my grandkids to come to me, not only when things are well, but when they're a pathetic mess. Because I want them to know regardless, they're going to be loved anyway. And so you might want to start sharing some of those stories with them where, about your imperfections. Now, it's not, well, it was a hot August night in the back of a 68 Chevy. You know, I mean, it's, that's not... That's not what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's, when a son, it's when a son comes to a dad. Hey, dad, dad, dad. You ever smoke pot when you were in high school? Um, um, no, but your mother did. You know. <laughs> it's where I move from perfection to imperfection. When it, when it means that it's okay to be imperfect, it's okay to struggle, it's okay to have difficulty, it's okay to have hardship. Because that's what we're here for. That's what drives people to Christ, I believe. When they realize that they've been permitted. If not, they just live a life that, I can't be that. And your kids live in an appearance and performance world where it's all about what they say, what they do, how they look. You know, it's, it's all about that performance. It's all about, that's why they take a million pictures of themselves all the time. Do you notice that? More pictures are taken every two seconds today than were ever taken, uh, than were taken all of, all of the 1800s. And you just kind of go, that's a lot of pictures. I mean, does it surprise you that kids are sending pictures of themselves, inappropriate pictures to one another? Not me. You have kids that are desperate for relationships, they'll find it any way they can. Here, I'll take a picture of this and send it off to somebody. You know, because they're desperate. And so my point of it is, is that this is, this is where I think this teaching model is so good. And we realize, you know, I, I, I need to do something different. I need to engage differently when I get up there. But this is where the Christian life is taught, down here. This is where it's caught because they're watching you continually. You know, the scripture that I read this morning, remember how we behaved among you blamelessly, righteously, you know, blamelessly, so that they can see even in the midst of my fault and my difficulty and my hardship. Somebody came up and said, you, you talk about stuff that's different. And I said, well, I just talked about, I'm just as much of a mess as anybody else is. Don't think for a minute that I have it all together. I'm still trying to figure out how to get it together. 
I don't think I will, this side of heaven. And neither will you. It may be the appearance of that, but I doubt that we will. And so our kids are longing for something different. And my encouragement is that we want to move them from this teaching to this training. Because I want them to take control. I want them to start making decisions. I want them to exercise their decision-making muscles so that when they get up to 18, they can handle the big stuff that they're going to be faced with. You want, are you hearing me on this? Okay, I think it happens three, in three different ways, and this is what we get to talk about today. I think it happens here with the relationship circle. If I draw three circles and say, how do you put together a family that, um, that has some balance within it? It's here that there's relationship. And you, you, you'll, you heard me say it this morning, you'll hear me say it a number of times. Relationship is important. There is nothing a child can do to make me love him more. There's no, it's easy to say, isn't it? Until my son called me and told me he's getting divorced, then I was going, okay, maybe there is something that, that would make me love you less. You know, I didn't handle it well. But he's the one that I kind of came up with that concept with. But this is, the, this, is, this is about relationship. This circle right here is about rules and boundaries and, and all those things that we need to be doing to, to make sure there's consequences. And then this circle here is about dealing with the issues that your child has and not neglecting those issues. You know, they may, they may need some kind of counseling or, or medical issues or deeper issues. And I would tell you this, <clears throat> The behavior that you see is a visible expression of the invisible issues that are in your child's life. So if you see behavior that's inappropriate, don't think that, oh, we gotta solve that behavior. All behavior is is a, is a light on your dashboard lighting up saying, warning, warning, there's something going on here. The problem isn't the light. The problem is it points to something else. And that's where you've got to be in tune enough to not, be, not say, I'm going to let that behavior be a smokescreen for touching the heart of my child. Kids do things, and I mean, name whatever, whatever you think would be inappropriate behavior for kids to do. Those kids live with us. And, and I can spend all my time trying to solve their behavior. But it just means that in six months, it's going to be something different. Something to, I want to get to the root of the behavior means I get to the heart of the issue. What's causing that behavior if all behavior is goal-oriented? What changes? What's going to be different? And so I'm going, to, I'm going to look at what's behind the behavior and not let all the behavior kind of be a smokescreen to the reality of what's really going on in a child's life. You with me so far? Relationships are big. Kids, kids know me, and they'll tell you this. They'll tell you two things about me, that I love them to death. And I do. The kids that come live with us, I, I love them to death. And I, I let them know it. Man, I'm hugging on them. And, and I, I, I get back. I'm, the reason I'm getting back early tomorrow is so that I can be with them on a, a, a weekly night that we have where everybody's together. I just enjoy the time of spending with them. I love them to death. But make no mistake, every, kid's know, every kid knows of this circle here where I am. I tolerate nothing. I can have a relationship, but I can also tolerate nothing. Disrespect, dishonesty, and disobedience. It isn't going to happen. Or there's going to be a consequence for it. Because of those are three things, the three Ds, if you want to write them down, 
disobedience, disrespect, dishonesty. Those are the three things that can damage relationships. And I will fight them for it. So if they're doing that, I will fight them. But they know more than anything else that I love them. More than anything else. Because I don't really believe that rules are going to change them. What's going to change them? relationships. If you have a discipline problem, you have what? A relationship problem. I mean, whenever we have kids that are messing up or acting up or running away or cutting or doing whatever, it's always, okay, we've got a relationship problem. Let's figure it out. Why aren't we engaging with this child differently? Why aren't we meeting their needs? It's got to be a relational deal. So in the relationship side of it, this is what I would tell you. Um, because we had to take a break in five minutes. We're already an hour into it. This thing, I tell you, this thing goes fast. It goes really fast. That in this, in this circle here, I would tell you that, that I've got to spend some time thinking, what is it about the, not the speck in my child's eye, but what is it the log in my eye that I need to deal with? There's only one person in this room that you can change. I have never changed one kid. I have created an environment of change that God does his magical thing and a kid comes to conclusions about some things, but I haven't changed them. You know, I just create the arena for that to happen. So the first thing would be, what is it about me that is getting in the way of a relationship with my child? You ever thought about it? A lot of men will say, I try to fix everything so much. A lot of women will tell me, I talk too much. That's not... Don't, Please don't look at that as a negative. It's just the way you're wired. You know, the way we're all wired. So if there's parts of it that I go, if I'm doing something that is pushing my child away, that's one thing that I can change. And so that's what I've got to look at first. This, is, this circle has to do with relationships. And if you're going, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I think I'm a pretty good parent. Then do this. Just pray that... Uh, Lord, search me, know my heart, and see if there's hurtful way, see if there's any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way. Is there anything that you do? This is where your spouse may be accurate in what they're saying. And that's the hardest thing to hear from a spouse. I've been with my wife 49 years. I mean, isn't that crazy? Been married 42 of them. Um... And we've lived life together. I mean, lived life. And the, the person that it's hard to hear criticism from is her. It's just her the most. And I don't know why that is. Because you would think, because she loves me through anything, and you would think I'd be going, <laughs> come on, bring it on. What else can I change? You know, kind of thing. But whenever she goes, hey, can we talk? You know, and it's always like 10.30 at night. We're crawling in the bed. Can we talk? Oh, geez. Look, can you, like, narrow it down to two sentences? You know, I'll be happy to, you know. But, but there's something about that that it's hard to hear that from one that loves you dearly. You know, it, it, it's, just, it's just hard to hear. Isn't it, men? Don't, am I right? Somebody help me. <laughs> Somebody go, yes, yeah, you know. It's just hard. It's just hard. And so there's a part of it where, it's, where there is something about us that may be causing some of the things within our home. 
And so what I do is identify it. Um, y'all know who Jim and Tammy Faye Baker are? How oh, they drove me nuts. And uh, I'd watch them. I was in law school, uh, really with pursuing real estate law. Um, and, um, and they had their real estate scam going on. What was it, North Carolina? Is that where it was? Or South Carolina? Or somewhere where they were building the PTL club. And um, is anybody here related to Jim and Tammy Faye? <laughs> I could not stand these people. And we would, I thought it was a Saturday Night Live skit. You know, I was just going, you got to be kidding me. This is, this is bizarre. And we'd watch it and, and, and it, w it was a good class. There was eight of us that were in our, this, this class, this law class. And we would talk about Ponzi schemes and, and how that works and all that other stuff. And so we were watching it happen while I was working at a church who was paying for me to go to law school. That we would have discussions and I would just get infuriated that, that we're getting made fun of. And so when Jim Baker got arrested, I loved it. I mean, there was a part of me that just went, yes. They handcuff him, they put him in the car and he's crying and I'm going, yes. Yes, I couldn't stand the guy. And her, gosh, she drove me wacko, just looking at the bouffant, you know, butterfly lashes and all the stuff. And then I saw her three days before she died, 75 pounds, talking about her love for Jesus and how she didn't do it all right. And something changed in me toward her. And then I was walking through an airport and I saw a book by Jim Baker. And you know what the title of it was? I was wrong. And in an instant like that, my concept of him changed. I think when we get up here, we find that, that when our old tactics don't work anymore, then the tendency is to, for moms is to be hurt in a greater way that they're being rejected in their motherhood. Dads have a way to disconnect. And there's a, because we do that well. We can just disconnect. The, the problem is it may be us, that I'm not, I may be doing some things there, I'm still making all your decisions, I'm controlling you, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm speaking for you, I'm interrupting you all the time. I'm, I'm just, you know, and, and now I just need to realize that. And our kids already know what it is. And all we have to do is say this, you know what, you're right. Two different, two different sets of parents came up to me this morning, and if you're here, there's nothing wrong with you doing this. Concerned that if I would, if I would say the same things in the second service that I said in the first service, that it'd be giving the kids ammunition to use against mom and dad. And I could see that. I could see that. But, but here's where I'd go a step farther. I'd go, that's okay. Because when a kid comes to me and says, you know what, you talk too much, you're too angry, you push too much, you're too aggressive, all those things, it is better for me to look at that child and go, you know what, you're absolutely right. I am wrong and I want to be different. Why? Because that style worked down here. It's not gonna work up here. 
And so when you tell somebody, I want to be different, it pulls the fuse out of the firecracker. It can't explode anymore. And so it's, I mean, this is what you're going to do. Mom's going to go home, not say a word for 24 hours. Dad's going to start mumbling things. I love you more. I love you this. And start saying, oh, yeah, I am wrong. I am wrong. They're going to know that you're dying or something or you've lost your job or you're getting a divorce or something like that. It's going to be something different for them. But you want to usher in something like that. You know, and you can usher it in early or you can usher it in later when you're trying to resolve the issues. I think the, the reason kids rebel is because they're not getting what they want, but they want parents to shift their style of parenting to prepare them for the world that they know they're going to live in. And why so many of them are giving up their relationship with Christ is because they really don't think in the application of all that the biblical truth and morals and values that we built into their life, that it's really going to stick in a world where all they hear is judgment all the time. Are you following me so far? Okay, we've gone an hour. We're going to spend some time talking about the culture that your child is living in. The third part of that is maybe some ways that aren't working. Uh, if you're trying these ways, they're not working. And then I want to spend most of our time, a bulk of the time, looking at just kind of a new model of new ideas that you can go through. Okay, and I want to show you a couple of things here. Sorry, it's not an evening with Mark Gregson unless you're just three hours behind uh, on your timing here. But, but um, there's a book. You can, you can sign up for this and get the book, What's Happening to My Teen, just by texting, what, 66... 66866, text parent to 66866, and you get the download of the book. So don't buy the book out there, okay? And, and where you know, too, I don't get paid for doing this. Um, the money goes to the Heartlight Foundation, which provides opportunities for us to create more parenting resources. I don't get a penny out of this. I don't get a penny out of radio. I do not, I, I do not make a dime off the sale of any books. And I, and I want you to know that because most men think you're always trying to sell them something. I'm not. I'm not trying to say something. I'm trying to give you resources that you can take back. And if you can't afford any of those books out there, I want to give them to you as a gift because I want you to leave with resources regardless of where you get them. And so part of it is you can get this book there. The other thing I want you to do, let me back up, is, is that you can get this Tough Guys and Drama Queens course. It's an individual thing, but you can get it online. That may be good stuff if you're going to do this. Um, the, be the beauty of a small group going through this curriculum is, um, is that they get to talk and have conversations about things. That's the beauty of it. It's not me. It's not me talking all the time. You can read about my stuff, but it's, the, it's, it's being able to talk. So you can use this as an opportunity, kind of a a preemptive deal before you go in and have your discussion with with a small group but you can get this online and the other thing I tell you sign up for our newsletter and um, um, this thing goes out a couple of times a week and and it's chock full of articles and videos and and all that other stuff that goes on a couple of other things there's a movie that'll be coming to Phoenix and um, it's by a guy named Kirk Cameron Kirk um, um, <laughs> Kirk Kirk's wife and I have been um, doing things together. Well, that doesn't sound right. Um, we've been, uh, we do these, we, what we do, she, she comes and she's been a guest on our radio program, and then I also spend some time uh, talking in her Bible study that she does in Westlake Village. 
California. And so Kurt called and said, I'd love to uh, meet you since you're hanging out with my wife. And I go, uh, cool. And so we met and I asked him, I said, what are you doing? And, and he said, is anybody here related to Kurt? Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and he said, well, I'm doing films. And I said, well, I hope they're not those cheesy Christian films that everybody keeps putting out. And he goes, cheesy films like what? I said, like, you know, like Fireproof and stuff like that. Those are just goofy to me. And he goes, that was my film. Oh, you know. He really thinks I was joking. But I wasn't. Because I didn't know it was him, and I do think it was cheesy. So anyway, so anyway, so we've done some stuff together, and, and he and I are going to go on a little tour doing marriage. He's going to do the marriage part, and I'm going to do the parenting thing. But uh, he asked if I would be in his film, and this film is, is called Connect. Um, and it's all about the impact that social media is having on kids. And he's done a wonderful job, and he, I'm the last 15 minutes of the film. Uh, and so that comes out February 27th and March 1st. And it's at 900 theaters around the country. If it's in Longview, Texas, I'm sure it'll be here in Phoenix somewhere. Because um, we, we um, I just didn't think it was going to be in Longview, and it is. So anyway, a, a couple of things. There's books out there. There's a couple of books I want to push. And, and uh, i tell you, one of them is When Your Teen is Struggling. And um, I didn't have time to, to grab it and show you. But if, you're, if you are struggling with your teen, then I would, I would grab that book. Either buy it or I'll give it to you. The other one about this and, and where, what you'll be doing in this new curriculum series that they're going to be offering is Tough Guys and Drama Queens. So you can get that. But there's also another parenting guide to go through that as well. That would be wonderful for you guys. If you're a grandparent or you have a grandparent, the other book out there is called Leaving a Legacy of Hope. Um, I leave Monday or maybe Wednesday, I'm gonna be on the Hallmark uh, Home and Family Show. They've asked me to come and push that book to grandparents, which is just so weird for me uh, to be dealing with old people like me, you know what I mean? So anyway, let's do this. Let's take like a 10 minute break and then we'll come back in. We'll start some music or something in a minute, but at 4.20, let's come back in and we'll get going, okay? goes fast, doesn't it? Oh, there you go. Can you turn? What's that? I gotta wait till the microphone's off. Is it Mike? Can you? 